good evening. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone he turns his hand again and again all day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away and broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me sit in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has put heavy chains on me. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He led me off my way and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a mark for his arrow. He shot into my vitals and the arrow of his quiver. He shot into my vitals the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all my people, the object of their taunt songs all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I hope for from the Lord. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. I don't know where I came across these words. They were written some time ago. Um, But there is a statement that there is no Christian life without its Gethsemane. There is no Christian life without its Gethsemane. Every Christian faces trials. We face hardships and sorrows that bring us to our knees, that move us to cry out to God for his mercy, that move us to tears that break our hearts, and we ask God to let this cup pass from us. And I'm sure we could go around tonight and and every one of us could describe moments in our life like this. No Christian is exempt from the pain that can come to us in life. But while that is true, what I especially love about this statement is that that's not the whole of it. The statement about Gethsemane goes on that while there are no Christian lives without their Gethsemanes, there are no Gethsemanes without their comforting angel. God didn't force Jesus to endure Gethsemane alone. Luke chapter 22 and verse 43 tells us that an angel came from heaven to strengthen him. And when we pass through our own garden of Gethsemane, When we're faced with discouragement or depression and suffering and tears, God does not leave us alone either. One source of encouragement, one source of comfort that I have come to appreciate is a short passage in the Old Testament. I have found it great help in my own dark moments. I hope its assurance of God's love and faithfulness will encourage you. So let's complete our reading beginning in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. 
There are three things that make these verses powerful and uplifting. One is the circumstances in which they were spoken. Those circumstances were the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. When these words are spoken by the prophet, the city of David lay in ruins. The stones of Solomon's temple laid in a blackened heap. The once busy streets and temple courts were empty. The shops and the markets were abandoned. No one came to sell. No one came to buy. Destruction was everywhere. Death was everywhere. And our reading gives us insight into the author's personal despair and pain. Not only is Jerusalem and the temple in ruins, but God's people have been taken into exile, having been forced to drink deeply of the cup of God's wrath. Nevertheless, Jeremiah celebrates God's love. He celebrates God's mercy and his faithfulness and the hope that is possible because of them. The second thing that is amazing about these verses is the one to whom it is addressed. Jeremiah is traditionally thought to be the human author of Lamentations. He is referred to as the weeping prophet, and that's an apt phrase. And here the prophet declares his unwavering loyalty to God. He praises God. He remembers God's kindness and goodness. He declares that his lot or his portion is with God. Yet it's God who brought about this terrible destruction. It was God's doing that Jerusalem was in ruins and the temple had been destroyed. God willed that the Babylonians destroy the city. As it says in other places, they were the whip in God's hand, the rod in his hand, the rod of his anger. Perhaps what I find amazing is that in my humanity and weakness, I wonder if I was there, if I wouldn't be tempted to curse God for what happened. It would have been sinful to be sure, and I hope that I wouldn't. But God's wrath only came after years and years of trying to get God's his people to repent. And yet Jeremiah only has praise for God and justification for why God brought this down on his people. Finally, these words have power because they were spoken before the cross. Five centuries have to pass before God's ultimate expression of his grace and his mercy. Jesus and the cross are yet in the future. Jeremiah, though, speaks as one who knows the promise of blessings under the law. He's also one who speaks knowing the promises of the new covenant that will be given in the future. Jeremiah has seen the kindness of the Lord as well as the wrath of the Lord. And out of all of that and out of his walk with the Lord comes this marvelous statement of faith that I would suggest is not surpassed by anything in the New Testament. The New Testament only repeats these words and makes them more true. First, Jeremiah celebrates the constancy of God's love. Look again at verse 22. When we talk about love in the New Testament, we're used to talking about agape, by which we mean sacrificial love, which we see especially exemplified in Jesus' death on the cross. Agape love is commanded us to give to each other in John 13, 
verse 34 and 35. And it is explained to us in 1 Corinthians 13. Well, the concept here in verse 22 of God's love is similar with a slight difference, different shade of meaning. Steadfast love is love that will not let us go. The covenant that Moses received from God at Sinai for Israel contained God's promise that Israel would be his special people and that he would be their God. God committed himself to them. He loved his people. They they were not the greatest of people. They weren't the most numerous. They weren't the most desirable. Nevertheless, God declares that he loved them. His first loyalty was to them before any other people. And so now Jeremiah stands in the midst of Jerusalem's ruins. The lights have gone out. Everything is dark. And Jeremiah declares, God still loves us. God still loves us. And not only does he still love us, but Jeremiah tells us that his love is without end. So when we think about this situation, we need to understand that Israel and Judah had run out of time. Look at verse 40 and and to 42. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts as well as our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. So the punishments of destruction and exile didn't come because of a whim of God. He didn't get up one day and decide to destroy Jerusalem. They were the consequences of his people's sin. But even so, in spite of all that happened while they had run out of time, Jeremiah affirms that they had not run out of God's mercy. His pity, his compassion, his loyalty to them had not been exhausted. And how marvelous it is that we can consider that and say amen. We have those times when we stand in the ruins of our own sin. We are crushed by our failure to be what God wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do. We have those times in lives when the rug is pulled out from under us by some tragedy. And in the face of all of it, we can still say, he still loves me. He still loves us. We cannot exhaust God's mercy. And that is only more true this side of the cross. Second, Jeremiah celebrates God's faithfulness. Verse 23. The thoughts run together. It's a little hard to to divide them up. They flow from one to the other. Here the thought is still on God's loyal love, his never-ending mercy. But now Jeremiah declares that God's love and mercy are new every morning. We can get up most spring, summer, and fall mornings and go for our walk in our yard. And when we do, what do we find? Well, we find that our feet are wet because the dew is filled with grass. The heat may have been scorching the day before, and the winds may have blown hard and dry, but the next morning God blesses the plants with fresh moisture once again. Jeremiah wants us to know that God's love and his mercy are just like that. We can lean on God's love and mercy. We may think we have worn it out with prayer and troubles and heartache. We may think that our sin has exhausted his grace, but each morning, They are new, just like the dew. 
God's promises, his love, his compassion are new as if they had never been tapped before. Jeremiah says they are new every morning and great is thy faithfulness. It's not hard for us to think of examples of love, even heroic examples of loyalty. We think, of course, of the dog that endures great pain to rescue his or her master. We think about friendships that last for decades, for a lifetime. We think of police officers and firemen and firewomen and military people who risk their lives for a friend, uh, for another person. We think of husbands and wives who are married 40, 50, 60 years. Loyal, faithful love through, through all the ups and downs, through all the struggles of life, through all of its sorrows and joys. We know those examples. We know that that happens. But Jeremiah is telling us that as wonderful as such faithfulness is, it does not begin to compare to God's faithfulness. It can't compare to God who keeps all of his promises, not to one person, but to millions and millions of people, and not just for a day or for a moment, but for centuries. He is the God who will never leave us, who will never walk away from us, who will keep his word and never break a promise. No power in the universe can take God away from us. And the cross says that that is even more true now. Finally, Jeremiah declares that his portion is with the Lord, verse 24. To appreciate what Jeremiah is saying, we need to think back to the days when Israel first conquered the land of promise under Joshua. When the land was conquered, every Israelite was given a portion of the land. There was an inheritance for them. A part of it belonged to each one. And every Israelite had the assurance that they would have a peace, that they would have a portion of the land. And out of that share from that portion of land, they would have their living. But what's interesting is that that was promised to 11 of the tribes, but it wasn't promised to the Levites. They weren't given the land. They weren't given parts of the land. Because the portion that they had was the Lord. In practical terms, that meant that they had a share of the animals and the grain and the wine and the other things that were brought for sacrifice. It was God who provided for them. He was their portion. Well, Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. He is my inheritance. What I depend on for food and home and security is not a piece of land. But Jeremiah says, the Lord himself. God will feed me. God will shelter me. God will watch over me. God will keep me. God will bring me to old age. And as Jeremiah looks from this dismal, miserable, terrible destruction, he promises that his hope for the future will be in the Lord. See, Jeremiah didn't need to know about tomorrow. How many of us have thoughts about what will happen tomorrow and what tomorrow will be like? Jeremiah didn't need to think about tomorrow. He knew that God would love him no matter what came. And he didn't need to worry about tomorrow. He didn't need to be anxious about tomorrow because God would face it with him. He didn't need to be anxious about the future because whatever it held, God would hold him up. Psalm 73 and verse 26 puts it this way, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and the portion and my portion forever 
Can we say that? Is our faith there? Can we say that for ourselves? If Jeremiah could have such faith before the cross, surely we can have such faith after the cross. How much more can we who live after the cross, who have God's spirit, who are part of God's church, who have a home in heaven, also have faith and say the same thing and more? I came across a story that I think illustrates what we're trying to say tonight. It was a balmy October afternoon in 1982. Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin was packed. More than 60,000 diehard University of Wisconsin supporters were watching their football team take on the Michigan State Spartans. It soon became obvious that Michigan State had the better team. What seemed odd, however, as the score became more lopsided, were the burst of applause and shouts of joy from the Wisconsin fans. How could they cheer? How could they yell when their team was losing and losing so badly? Well, it turns out that 70 miles away in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the third game of the World Series, and they were beating St. Louis. And so every time there was a hit, every time they struck somebody out, the Wisconsin fans would cheer. The football game was terrible, but they were thrilled that their Milwaukee team was winning. Paul encourages us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. It's not what is before us. It's not what we can see and touch and taste that is most important but it's what we can't see. And what we can't see is the love of God, the mercy of God, the steadfast love of God. And so we can, with Jeremiah, have reason to rejoice and to be glad, to say with him, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I kind of wondered if anybody noticed that we skipped verse 21. Anybody notice that? We did. And that was sort of intentional. Because if you look at verse 21, it starts the paragraph, but it's really the conclusion of the paragraph. It's really the summary of what uh, Jeremiah wants to say. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. He can't close his eyes to what happened. It's happened. It's taken place. But still, there is this, that the steadfast love of the Lord continues to uphold him. He calls these things to mind. Don't you think it would have been easy for Jeremiah to go to bed at night and have nightmares about the destruction of Jerusalem? Can't you just imagine that he could walk through Jerusalem and walk through the Ruins of the temple and tears would come to his eyes. I don't know how you could not do that. But he says, what I keep my mind on is God and his love. And I keep my hope. So my hope and prayer for us is that God will hold the cross before our eyes this week. I hope these words will encourage you and strengthen you. And I pray that your hope will remain firm and steadfast, whatever comes to you tonight this week. May God bless us all and keep us.
Let's finish with our song of encouragement. There's someone in need of prayer tonight. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?